Well, good morning, and I uh, welcome you to this time for us to be shaped by the Word of God. I, um, this is the last entry in this series, but it's the first in a series focusing on shepherd selection and leadership. And our text this morning is going to be taken from Mark 10. Now, I'm going to spoil it for you, okay? You ready? Here's a spoiler alert. Jesus, in this text, is going to take our understanding of leadership, authority, and power, and he's going to upend it. Uh, He's not going to patch it up. He's not going to take what we think we know about leadership and maybe repair it and redeem it a little bit. He's not going to uh, just restore it and, and, and maybe correct a few errors in our math. He's going to mow down what we think we know about leadership. And he's, that's right, and he's going to replace it with something that comes from heaven. He did it in the first century, and he's doing it for us as well. So, before I read, uh, I want to ask the Lord to give us the ears to hear his truth. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this opportunity to hear your word, and to pay attention to Jesus' words, the words in red. Be with me as a speaker, that I might be capable and be a reliable, trustworthy servant of your words. Be with us, be with me as a hearer, that we might take these things and put them into practice. Father, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Let's pay attention to this. And uh, this is Mark chapter 10, verse 32 through 52. So, this is the words from Scripture. The words in red are coming up. They were now on the way up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And the disciples were filled with awe, and the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. Taking the twelve disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law and they will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip and kill him. But after three days he will be raised up. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we would like to ask you to do something for us. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, grant us the honor to sit beside you, one on your right, the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking Are you able to drink from the cup that I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized in the baptism in which I must be baptized? Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. And Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from the cup that I drink. You will be baptized in the baptism in which I am baptized. But to say who will sit on my right and my left, that's not mine to give. God has prepared those places for the ones that he has chosen. 
And then the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked. They were indignant. Jesus called them together and he said, You know that the highly regarded rulers of the Gentiles dominate their people. And their celebrities flaunt their authority over them. But that is not the way it will be among you. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then they reached Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, that means son of Timaeus, was sitting beside that way. And Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby and he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. And when Jesus heard him, he stopped and he said, tell him to come here. So they called out to the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Get up, he's calling you. And Bartimaeus threw aside his coat and he jumped up and he came to Jesus. Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, my rabbi, that I might see. And Jesus said to him, go Your faith has healed you. And at once the man could see, and he followed Jesus along the way. There's a few huddles in this account. You you know the huddle. You get together, everybody gathers up. We do it in sports, we do it in life. Sometimes when something has happened, we have to get everybody together and we have to say, okay, listen. There's a few things going on here, and we need to discuss it. Uh, Sometimes we have to change the plan. Sometimes we have to reaffirm the plan. Sometimes we have to remind everybody of a a little truth that they need to hear. In In this account, Jesus huddles up his followers, and he says, I want you to be aware of what's really going on. In the first huddle, he talks to them about the Jesus way of things. He's warning them. Notice what was going on around them. Did you, did, you, did you catch that? They're on their way up to Jerusalem. Jesus has told them that Jerusalem is the goal. He knows what's going to happen there. And, and along the way to Jerusalem, things are getting more and more intense. The, the disciples, the twelve, they're filled with awe. They're amazed. And they really think, This is going to be the big one. This is going to be the game. This is going to be where it really counts. And around them is a crowd that Mark says are overwhelmed with fear. There's some tense stuff going on then, right? So Jesus warns them what's ahead. He says, I I don't want any misunderstandings. Let me tell you what's going to happen. And that's when he says that the Son of Man is going to be rejected. He's going to be ridiculed. But then he's going to be raised up. Now, for some reason, after he has that huddle with them, James and John see that as the opportunity to make their move. 
I mean, that, that, it's almost as if they walk up and they say, Jesus, we got a, we got a proposition for you. We got a, we got a proposal. We want you to listen to it, and we want you to respond. Now, right here's our resume, and we want you to know. We want you to know that we're not going to leave you. We got your back, Jesus. We know there's a fight coming up. We got your back. Now, here's what we want. All we ask, you put one of us on the left, put one of us on the right. In fact, Jesus, we won't even, we won't even get picky about that. If you want John on the right, I'll be on the left, says James. And John pipes in, yeah, and if you want James on the right or the left, I'll, I'll take the other one. No, no problem. Just give us those two spots. We got this. We got you, Jesus. You're our guy. We're going to back you all the way on this. So they make their proposal, a rather bold proposal, and Jesus has to tell them, you don't know what you're asking for. Because their mind and their thinking is still caught up in the worldly way of doing things. Even the the God, or the spiritual, religious way of doing things that's still invested in this world. I'm sure that each and every one of the twelve thinks that they're fighting for the kingdom of Israel. But they don't understand what the kingdom of Israel is. They will tell him, we know that you're the Christ, but they don't know what the Christ is all about. This is why he's teaching them about the Son of Man and what will happen. So when the other ten hear what James and John have done with their bold proposal, they are indignant. Now that's a $12 word, right? They're upset. They're angry. They're probably a little embarrassed that that, that James and John got to him first. they, They feel like they've missed out. So Jesus has to call another huddle. Because he hears all of them fighting over this. Peter and Andrew are thinking, uh, wait, 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 left and right, that's not you guys, that's us. We've been there. We were here before you. you know, we're, we're, we're his left and right kind of guys. We got his back. You don't worry about it. So Jesus has to call them together for another huddle, and he has to say, okay, listen, you know there's the Gentile way of doing things. And it sounds a bit rude. He says, but you know that the leaders among the Gentiles, that they're greats, they're great ones, they're first ones, they're prominent ones. And whether you want to think that that's the Greeks or the Romans or whatever, he's talking about the people out there, the people who don't respect or follow God and the worldly way of thinking of leadership. Now, we often translate that as they lord it over one another. And I... I don't know about you, I've always had a strength, I've never understood what it means to lord, lord it over. Lord what? Lord it. Lord it over. Lord what? I think a good translation, and that's a fine translation, but another good translation is to say they dominate. They strong arm their way. And let me ask you, do we ever hear any language like that? You want to be a leader? You got to put your bluff in on people first. You want to be a leader? You got to show people that you are more determined than they are. You want to be a leader? You've got to not show any weakness. Don't we still have that wisdom? Is it just me, or do we still have that wisdom around us? Answer me, folks, do we? I mean, you see it? You hear it? I mean, can you even think of some of your own that you hear sometimes? These ideas, you know, they hit me, I'm going to hit back. 
I'm going to challenge you before you challenge me. You know, that's what, that's, what, that's what we think leaders are supposed to say. That if you can yell louder, if you can be tougher, if you can be stronger than everybody else, then you deserve to be leader. And, and I see more and more of that as I go along in life. And here's Jesus hundreds of years ago, and he's saying, you know how the Gentiles do things. They dominate. They strong-arm their way into leadership. And they're influencers. Now, everybody understands what influencers are, right? Because he talks about their great ones. Their great ones are their heroes. And I'm thinking, who are our heroes today? We don't have a lot of heroes. We like to take heroes down. Maybe because we don't want anybody to be better than us. So we like to tear them down. We like to poke at them. We like to pick at them. We like to, we like to bring them down to our level, right? So their great ones are their influencers, the ones who can get things done, the people who are noted. And he says what they like to do is they like to show off their authority. So here they come, riding in the chariot in triumph. They're the conquerors. Here they come with the big media uh, release about what they've done. Here are the people hailing them and praising them for what they have done. Jesus says, you are all very familiar with that. We think about it so often. It comes up so often. And Jesus says this to his disciples then and his disciples now. That is not our way. We do not do it like that. He suggests another way. And go back to what he said about the Jesus way of doing things. The one who wants to be great will become your servant. Now, again, are you, are, you, are you still with me, church? Are you still with me? Hmm? Yeah, okay, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad that the kids don't mind answering me. Some of you adults need to take a lesson from them, okay? Follow them. They are leading you in this, okay? Thank you, kids. The one who wants to be great will become your servant. And the reason why I'm asking you if you're paying attention is because you and I will just think by default, we'll think, oh, oh, yeah, you've got to be a servant. Yeah, you got sure. Sure, you've got to be a servant. It's always good to serve. Let's do some service. Let's do some service. We'll always have our leaders, our uh, leaders at every level, you know, they're going to show up. Uh, the guys in suits, for example, are going to show up. They're going to take the jacket off. They're going to roll up the sleeve. Look at me serving. I'm working here. You know how you know I'm working? I got my sleeves rolled up. Mm-hmm. And unless you're the weatherman, that's a good thing. So I'm, I, I hear, look at me out here working. But I'm going to put my suit back on. I'm going to go back to leading, and you're all going to know that. We can, we can ignore that. We can ignore that that service is just a stepping stone to the same Gentile way of doing things if we don't really pay attention to Jesus. He says, the one who wants to be first will become everyone's servant. Oh, we like to be first most of the time. Depends on what it is, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes we want to be first in, you know, all the good stuff, the stuff we want. But we don't always want to be first in things that are challenging. So the one who wants to be first has to be everyone's servant. He, and servant, by the way, sounds good, but in their world, to hear the word servant means that you're going to reduce yourself down 
to a humbling level. Let, 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 me tell you, let me tell you where this can get very interesting. You know, how many of you know who Mike Rowe is? You know Mike Rowe and the dirty jobs, right? Somebody has to do those things. All right. So I think, I think the last mission trip I went on with, with some of the uh, youth group, it was Guatemala, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. Now, here's a fact about Guatemala if you haven't been there. In Guatemala, plumbing lines are about that big around, okay? Yeah. I, I, I don't know what the actual, my friend Paul tells me like that, you know. But they're t- for some reason, they think, you know what, small pipe is cheaper, so we'll put that in for the plumbing. The problem is it tends to back up. So somebody has to clog that stuff out when it gets backed up. Are you getting the ugly picture now? Yeah. That's a servant's kind of a job. Now we can serve, but you can create a servant's kind of a job there where it, it, it isn't the first thing in line, but it's got to be done. This, now that's understandable. That's understandable with most of this. But when it comes to those other things that are tough to do, service is going to be much more demanding. He says, look at the way of the Son of Man. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom or to set many free. His next huddle with them is surrounding Bartimaeus, the blind beggar. Bartimaeus is sitting along the way into Jericho, and he shouts for mercy. Bartimaeus has a need, a simple need. Now, most of us, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be mean to somebody who can't see. You wouldn't, you wouldn't shout at somebody calling out like that and say, be quiet. No, no. I mean, I think we all know that, right? We're all taught that from the time that we're very young, to show people respect. But in their world, they live in a world where people who are blind, people who have some sort of problem, uh, some sort of uh, physical disability, they tend to think that person is punished by God. You'll remember in John chapter 9 that the disciples asked Jesus about another blind man. They said, who sinned, him or his parents? Whose fault is this? So no wonder they're telling him to be quiet. Stay away from the master. We don't need you right now. You're under God's judgment. What are you doing here? We may not do that with somebody who has no choice in that, but we may look at somebody whose life choices has put them in a bad position, and we might think, well, you know, they don't, we don't need to be around them. We don't need them here. We don't need them bothering us. Jesus invites the blind man to come to him. He's actually doing what he said he's the son of man who has come not to be served but to serve many and he asked the man what do you want me to do for you that's the exact same question that he asked James and John when James and John come with their grand proposal to be on the left and the right to be the the highest officials in the in in Jesus's kingdom Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Now he asked this blind man who is literally cast off to the side of the road and he says, 
what do you want me to do for you? And he just says, I want to see. The, the, the blind man may not be able to see, but he has 20-20 faith. He says, my rabbi, my rabbi, not, not teacher, but my rabbi, if you would just give me sight. Now, who would have thought that day as they were coming along the road, and here's this blind man who's reduced to asking for favors from people, asking that they show him some kind of mercy, and he's, he recognizes that the son of David is there, the king. He's calling out for mercy. Who would have thought that he would end up becoming a disciple? That only happens when you do things the way of the Son of Man, not the way of the sons of thunder. It's going to be different in the kingdom. How different is it going to be? Well, it might be so different that the blind can see and that people will follow. It's the same question, what do you want me to do for you? And Jesus is serving and he is giving life. So why does this matter? Where does this come in? Well, there's a lot of different applications to this, but right now I want to specifically apply this to the process that we announced last week with our shepherd selection timeline. If you haven't seen this yet, we announced this last week, that we're going to go through this process. It started last Sunday. It's going to go until November 13th. Our goal is to recognize shepherds that God has prepared, that you recognize, who can be the kind of leaders that we need. And as we're going to learn along the way, the one who wants to be great will be the servant of many. That applies to each and every one of us. You don't get to go to your leaders and say, hey, you have to be my servant. That's not how it works. It means that the leader has to understand that it's his calling to serve those, not to demand to be served. Now, if you look at this timeline, one of the things that some of you noticed last week, and I appreciate this, is just work it backwards. One Sunday to recognize them, two Sundays to announce it, and to have you involved in the process of affirmation and reaffirmation. One Sunday, really 10 days for the standing shepherds to interview the potential shepherds. Keep going backwards. Two Sundays, starting on October 9th, to nominate. But why does it take nine Sundays for all of this other? I have an answer for you. It's because if we are not careful, we're going to get caught up not in the way of the Son of Man, but the way of the Sons of Thunder. You see what I mean? I mean, here are James and John, the Sons of Thunder. They have been that close to Jesus, and still they think that it's appropriate to come to Jesus and say, listen, you told us what the Son of Man's going to do. You're going to be raised up. We understand that that means you're going to be exalted to king, you know. I mean, at some point, you have to think that somebody might have said, hey, did you not hear what he said? Mocking, flogging, spitting, killing. Yeah, 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 yeah. We get that. Yeah. Road ahead, the road to leadership is rough and lonely. We get that. We get that. But when we get there, we want a left hand and a right hand, okay? And it's going it, to, it, it will take us some time to stop, to think, to pray, to encourage as soon as this is announced, the first thing that a lot of us do is we go, who? Who should be a shepherd? Who? 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 We're like a bunch of owls, okay? But what we need to be asking is, what is a leader? 
why do we need leaders? How will God provide these leaders? All I'm saying is, I'm not saying that you're not capable of this. You're as capable of this as I am. And I can tell you right, I can tell you why I'm so confident of that is because all of us have to rely on God and His Holy Spirit to make this happen in a way that honors Him. So let us take this time to surrender to Him, to be redeemed by Him. Let Jesus huddle up with us for nine Sundays and say, let me teach you another lesson of what it looks like in my kingdom so that you'll be more like the Son of Man and less like the Sons of Thunder. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray for your mercy. We pray for your mercy just as the blind man did. We acknowledge you as the son of David. We acknowledge you as the son of man who has the authority to judge. We acknowledge you as the one who says the words that give life. As the one who is saving us. Father, we pray for that mercy. That you will make us useful to you and you will make us those who are prepared to follow your ways, to acknowledge your ways, and to affirm what you are doing Father, we have give you thanks and we thank you for the momentum that we've experienced. Seeing your Spirit revive us with life again and now we ask that that continue. Teach us how to be humble and how to serve you and in so doing, to surrender ourselves even as your Son did, the Son of Man, that He didn't consider equality with you something to be held on to, clutched tightly, and wielded as authority over others, but instead He emptied Himself so that He might serve. Father, help us all to see that first so that we might see who You have prepared and who You have called to continue the process of shepherding and teaching among Your people so that we might be more like the Son of Man. Father, we ask for mercy just as Bartimaeus did so that we might see. Give us the eyes to see. Give us the faith that makes the vision of our heart and spirit 2020. Lord, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let us gather around the Lord's Supper table this morning and let